Grace and peace to you from the one who is the God of our religious ancestors and the God who is most fully revealed through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. What is an honor and a privilege to share in this service of the renewal of vows today. Thank you, Bishop Smith, for the invitation to participate and in living out our full communion agreement as brothers and sisters in Christ for the sake of the gospel. Thank you to each of you. It's Holy Week. Some might wonder why you're here. There's a lot to be done. There's sermons to be prepared, bulletins to be organized. But you've come to stop for a moment of worship, to affirm your call, and to share in some simple fellowship. On this past Sunday, many of us gathered outside of congregations across Arizona, waving our palm fronds high, singing Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. We listened to Mark's version of Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem. We sought to interpret the many and varied symbols loaded in that scene along one of the pilgrim-packed paths into the city of Zion. Today we continue traveling and seeing through the eyes of Mark. Jesus has already engaged the money changers in the temple, exerted some righteous anger, and reminded all that we gather to worship our God wherever we worship our God is to be a place of prayer, not for profit. As Roman authorities and Jewish leaders carefully monitor the swelling population of the city as the observance of Passover creeps closer, emotions are running high. For Pontius Pilate and his minions, they have one responsibility, peace, peace at all costs. The emperor has little tolerance for disruptive assaults on his glorious Pax Romana. For the Jewish high priests and the consortium of Pharisees and Sadducees who hold some measure of power and influence over both the local and now returning Jewish pilgrims, helping to maintain the communal peace is just as critical. They know that if they can't keep things under control, the delicate tolerance of being able to observe and practice their faith could be shut down by the military force of the Roman superpower occupying their land. Though we have no idea how impactful to the masses Jesus' little donkey ride into Jerusalem was, Mark records that the whole city was in turmoil, as if experiencing the aftershock of an earthquake. Though we have no idea how many people observed his behavior among the money changers in the temple, we do know that the religious leaders in charge were becoming afraid of him. Afraid of him because the crowd that did witness his behavior and did hear his words were spellbound by Jesus. Like many who may be sensing their power and control being threatened, they begin to scheme together to discredit the prophet This rabbi from Galilee and Nazareth. Mark has shared a couple of parables about an unfruitful fig tree and a withering fig tree. Then we see what we rarely see today. Members of opposing political and religious parties cooperating for their common self-interest. The elimination of Jesus 
for the sake of maintaining the status quo. Oh, how many of us in this place know this game so well. How many of us, when we have sought to lead our communities outward in mission, acting on behalf of those pushed outside or to the margins, or challenging the balance of resource allocation when most of our resources are devoting to propping up the clubhouse rather than fueling the work of Christ, how many of us know the pushback? the power plays, or even the threats of those who may seem quite convicted but really are trembling with fear deep inside their bones. For decades, I have sought to teach those I've been privileged to pastor that when it comes to reading the Bible, that God asks us one question. Do you trust me? Do you trust me? From Genesis through Revelation, the question keeps rising above the many because as creatures and not the Creator, we know how much of our faith journey is reflected in the one named and the people called Israel, or one who struggles or wrestles with God. Many of us crave certainty. Many of us struggle with issues over who is in control. Many of us wrestle with trusting in God and the God who has called us as opposed to trusting in those who pay our salaries and keep the places we serve going. We know the challenges in trusting our God and claiming the authority God has given us through our call to ministry. Many in this assembly are tired, tired of having to be on the defensive when it comes to calling the people of God to do God's work with our hands, with our lives. Some of my colleague bishops in the ELCA have recently reflected on some of their pastors being criticized for being too political in the pulpit due to their simply reading the Beatitudes (laughs) and preaching the words of Jesus to his disciples. We know the feelings of shock and even disillusionment when stalwart members of the communities we serve keep choosing to protect at all costs what was at the expense of what might be. We know the vestry and council meetings that go on and on and on with endless debate over often very good things But that time, energy, and even funding does not result in doing the best work we feel called to do. Well, guess what? Today we find some good company. Today we find company in the reality of the vocation to which God has called you. Today we encounter just one of the many challenges to Jesus' authority. Today we listen to the only account Mark includes Sadducees to try and discredit Jesus. The sole purpose of this little engagement is to trip him up with his own words so that he would lose support of the people leaving the way open for his opponents to destroy him. Like the White House press press corps hoping to get a chance to question and trip up Sean Spicer and in turn the current administration. Or like the infamous Barbara Walters or Oprah Winfrey seeking one of their famous interviewees to tip their hand about something no one else has been able to get them to share. Mark has the Sadducees seeking to trip Jesus. 
You remember the Sadducees. You remember they were significantly less in number, but due to economic and political connections, they exerted great influence in Jesus' day. We have come to know them as the folks who did not believe in the resurrection because they accepted only Scripture, which they believed did not support a belief in immortality or the resurrection. They loved the Torah. They loved those first five books of Moses. And they proof text from those books to justify their interpretation of the right way to believe and worship God. Some scholars have indicated that, this is, this is a, that, that it is possible this little exchange with Jesus was rooted in a well-known Sadducee joke that might have been swapped while swipping, sip, sipping wine. Swipping, maybe I had a little bit too much, I don't know. While sipping wine as a slap at their competing rivals, the Pharisees, who foolishly believed in the resurrection. Resurrection. Resurrection is the issue in our lesson for today. As Mark writes to the followers of Jesus, he writes to those who may sometimes doubt, doubt whether there is a resurrection at all, or sometimes wonder what the resurrection is like and whether personal relationships persist in the life to come. In response to the practice of Leverite marriage and the resurrection, Jesus does not engage in game playing. He just flat out tells the Sadducees, you're wrong. You're wrong. He tells them they don't know the scriptures, nor do they know the power of God. He then proceeds to go to their source of authority, the Torah, and pulls out the familiar passage around Moses' encounter of Yahweh and the burning bush. Jesus does not seek to use himself as a reference point or a counter-argument, but he uses beloved Moses and God's own self-revelation about being the God of the living and not the dead. As we approach this coming Resurrection Sunday, and as we will still live in a culture where many speculate about life after death, let us not get distracted in wondering about how old we might be in heaven or what our personality might be like in heaven or who's going to be there or not or how many members of my family tree might fit into my imagined mansion with many rooms. All of this, all of this misses the point. The whole point of what Jesus is trying to communicate to those who might be listening to him or reading his words. Jesus, our Lord, offers a promise. More life. More life with God. Period. More life with God. Period. Jesus gives reason to hope for a personal existence and community with others in the presence of God in radically transformed circumstances. We shortchange what that existence will be like when we perpetuate a vision that is not very different from the world we currently know. What Jesus makes clear in our lesson for today is that resurrection means no separation from God. 
No separation between God and humans and not between humans and other humans. And that resurrection is God's action, not something that we can claim responsibility. In the coming days, may each of us be bold proclaimers that God is not dead, God is not done, and that in Jesus, God promises more life, abundant life, meaningful life in relationship with God and others into eternity. Amen.